good morning. If you can find your seats and get back there, we'll get started. So I was sharing with the worship team, we always pray a little bit before we get, get rolling here this morning, and uh, sharing where we're going and talking about the use of our words. And we're going to look at how uh, many opportunities there are for, our t- for us to use our words wrongly. And I said, it's probably going to be kind of a tough message to hear. And one of the ladies, Patty, who was playing piano, said, oh, gosh, this is going to be a hard one for me. I said, yeah, it's been a hard week for me. I've been dealing with it. She's like, yeah, but you got to deal with it all week. I'm just going to have to deal with it for like 30 minutes and then set with it for the rest of it. It's like, yeah, sorry. So I have the advantage of having processed this and like worked through it. If you feel bad, wait till the end. We'll, we'll, we'll get to some good gospel stuff. My hope is not to bring any condemnation. We know for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation, okay? But if you feel a little conviction this morning, that's a good thing. Receive it, get with Jesus, and ask him to put a guard over your lips and help you maybe not speak so much, okay? We're doing a series called Life Hacks. We are looking at the first nine chapters of Proverbs, which kind of sets the stage on how we read and interpret the rest of Proverbs, the, the things that we all know a lot about, the words and sayings, those short little sentences. So I wanted to do the first setup, the first nine weeks, and then do some topics. And we didn't really decide what topics we were going to do at the beginning, but I prayed about it. Wes and I talked about it. We were thinking, man, what what could we talk about? We could talk about sex and parenting and any number of things. But the thing that kept coming back up to me was the use of our words. Just in politics and Facebook and everywhere, we just, we use a lot of words and there's a lot of wrong use and good use. And so view this next three weeks as kind of a, a series within the series, how to use our words, life hacks, how to use our words from scripture. So if we're thinking about it and like what, what, are, what are each series on, this morning's shut up, next week will be listen up, and the following week will be speak up. And I don't really like the shut up. I, I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't like my kids to tell you that. So I, I've entitled the message actually like the power of words. Words are powerful, so use less of them. But that's kind of the general idea. Because there's such an opportunity to use our words in so many wrong ways, Maybe we should use less of them. So that's where we're going. And as I've been thinking about the message, I'm processing the sermon all throughout the week, dealing in scripture, praying, and just, it comes up. Life comes up. And so my two boys, my, my family and I, we discipline for three reasons. This is from Matt Boyers. This isn't original to me. We don't want to discipline our kids if they're tired or just being childish, right? If my four-year-old's acting like a four-year-old, then I can shape that a little bit, but he's not going to get disciplined. And here, here's spank. That, that's what, mostly what we do. Sometimes we do time out, but sometimes a, a, a corporal punishment is more effective than a time out, at least for our family. So sometimes we discipline our kids, and when we do that, we do it for three reasons. Dishonesty, disobedience, and disrespect. We're trying to shape their worldview in line with Scripture, and basically God is unhappy with us when we're dishonest, when we tell lies. When we're disobedient, we don't obey what he said. And when we're disrespectful to others, we forget the image of God and we treat people with less respect than they actually deserve. So that's, that's what we're trying to do in shaping our kids. So we were having a conversation, my middle son, Graham, who's three, and uh, I was trying to figure out whether he did something or didn't do something. I can't remember what the issue was. I was trying to get the bottom of it. Well, I was asking him if he did or didn't do this thing, and my oldest son piped up and he said, oh yeah, I know, he didn't or did and was like just basically just completely throwing him under the bus. Oh yeah, this is what happened. And so I'm talking and we're, we're trying to get to the bottom of it and I keep talking and I realize that my oldest son actually doesn't know what he's talking about, like at all. Like he, he's just sharing what he thinks 
but not like facts, just his opinion. And so I stopped and tried to use that as a teachable moment. I said, Clark, buddy, what if, what if Graham would have gotten in trouble right here? Like, what if he would have just gotten punished for something that didn't happen? I could see he didn't really care about that. So I said, okay, well, let's, you selfish little child, like, I'm selfish, you're selfish, like, oh, let's work with this. What would happen if you got disciplined for something you didn't do because someone opened their mouth and shared something that wasn't true about you, right? And he paused. He said, yeah, I wouldn't like that. Yeah. I said, bud, sometimes if you don't know something, then you really should just keep your mouth shut. If you don't know, then you really just, you got no business talking about it. Now, wouldn't that be a lesson that all of us would do well to learn? The world would be a better place if myself included. Wes said your, your toes were probably going to get stepped on. They probably are, but mine more than most. I talk a lot, right? I got the gift of gab. I use a lot of words. And so I'm preaching to myself this morning. So don't feel like, oh, wow, he's saying this, that, or the other. This is, I'm with you. I'm with you and getting the toes stepped on, okay? But wouldn't, it be, wouldn't the world be a better place if we all learned the power of our words And because we understood how powerful our words are, that we used less of them. That we were more careful in how we spoke. That we learned that when it comes to words, a lot of times less is more. Proverbs teaches us as much. Proverbs 17, 28 tells us, Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouth shut, they seem intelligent. Better be thought a fool than to open your mouth and prove it. Proverbs 29, 20 says, There is more hope for a fool than there is for someone who speaks without thinking. Church, words are powerful. How we speak can win friends and influence people. Maybe you've read that book. That's a book about how to use your words. I think words, not weapons, are what win wars. Right? The words we use, the words our politicians use, they can steer the nation. The words we use, upon the words we use, ideas are carried, beliefs are carried that shape and inform us the way we think, the way we behave, the way we treat others. You can probably think of many famous words. I have a dream, said Martin Luther King, right? And then he spoke a bunch of words that shaped and informed a nation about the dignity and respect and worth that every human being deserves to be treated with. John F. Kennedy reminded our nation of the selflessness and service that's required for mankind to flourish, to be free. He reminded us of that when he said, ask not what your country can do for you. Instead, ask what you, what you can do for your country. Following the, the Cold War, it's 45 years. I wasn't alive for it. I recently listened to a podcast on it called What We Saw, The Cold War. It was fascinating, really helpful, I learned a lot. After 45 years of the Cold War, that was a battle really fought for ideas. It was fought for two different ways of life. One, behind the Iron Curtain that was ruled with brute force, death camps, and bread lines. And another, another way of life that prized and cherished liberty and justice for all. Ronald Reagan, following that 45-year stint, struck a death blow to the public's opinion of communism, and won a moral victory when he spoke to General Gorbachev, saying, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Following that address, family members who had been separated for more than 30 years 
divided, East and West Berlin. They were able to go where they wanted, when they wanted, and be reunited with their family, their loved ones, that they haven't seen for over 30 years. I could go on, but I won't. Here's my point. Words are powerful. And these words that I just shared with you, many of you all knew, you know them, you know the context of them. All of those words were carefully crafted, carefully considered. These words steered our nations, steered the world. They helped humanity stride towards a better life. And that's the power of words. Words contain the power of life, but they also contain the power of death. Proverbs 18, 19 through 21 says as much. You're probably not as familiar with verses 18 through 20. 21 will stick out to you a little bit more. It says this, An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. Wise words satisfy like, good, like a good meal. The right words bring satisfaction. This is what you recognize. The tongue has the power of life and death. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Now there is a segment of Christians within the church... I hesitate to say within the church because I'm not sure where they're at. There's this, this movement called the Word of Faith movement where certain Christian believers will tell you that if you have enough faith, if you believe the right things, if you use the right words, then you can will or manifest physical realities into your life like health, wealth, and prosperity. Now, church, this is not a sermon about positive thinking. Words are powerful, but you and I are not God. We cannot create out of nothing. Only the Most High has the power to do that. Our words are powerful, but words alone cannot change your circumstance, right? They can't bring health. They can't bring prosperity or wealth into your life. You and I do not have the power to speak things into existence. That's not true. You say, well, what does Jesus teach us about the power of words? About faith. Faith, are you saying faith doesn't matter? No, that's not what I'm saying. Jesus said faith matters, but he said the amount of our faith matters less than the object of our faith. You see, those in the word of faith movement want you to believe that the amount of your faith is what matters. It's faith and faith itself. We do not adhere to that. That's heretical. What we believe is that faith in Jesus Christ is what matters, and Jesus affirms that in Matthew when he tells us, you can't do this, you can't do that because you don't because you don't have enough faith. But I tell you, if you had even the faith of the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be thrown into the sea, and it would be. You know what that verse tells me? It tells me that the amount of faith doesn't matter as much as the object of my faith. Because Jesus Christ has said, if I have the faith the size of a mustard seed, do you know how big a mustard seed is? It's one to two millimeters across. It's that big. You can't even see how big that is. If I have that amount of faith, that's a tiny amount of faith, in who? In Jesus, then that mountain will move. So when you got these guys saying, believe this, you know, positive thinking, health, wealth, prosperity, you can bring it all, manifest it into your life, that's not the power our words have. But that doesn't mean our words aren't powerful. Our words are powerful. You say, well, how so? If it's not physically manifesting things, we can't create things, right? What does, what, what is the power of of our words. Well, for one, our words are an indicator of where our hearts are, of what's in our hearts. Matthew, or Jesus told us that in Luke 6 and Matthew 12. He says, out of the, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
what's in the heart, the mouth, is, is what communicates. So words have, the words we use have power to reveal what's in our hearts, to reveal the change that Christ has made or hasn't made. They also have the power to shape our beliefs and either build us up or tear us down. Words can give life and steer the ship of our lives, as James says in chapter 3, or corrupt, our, our, corrupt ourselves like a small spark in a forest. They can set our lives ablaze. Words are powerful. James goes so far to say that if you can control how you speak, if you can control your tongue, then you'll be able to keep your whole body in check. You'll be able to keep your mind in check, your thoughts, your attitudes, all of yourself. This tells us that there is no more lethal force, no more powerful force that we humans contain than our tongues. They have the power to speak life. Not physical life, but emotional, spiritual life or death, discouragement, emotionally, spiritually. And so we're going to spend the next three weeks looking at the use of words. And this morning, the big idea is be quiet. Don't use so many words because there are a lot of ways we can use our words that are harmful. And so I want to read Proverbs 26 verse 18 through 27 too. And I just want to go through and list all of the harmful ways that you and I can use our words. And I'm going to pray, I have been praying, that you will feel a certain level of conviction that I have felt. Not condemnation, but that you might pause the next time you go to speak and you realize, ah, that would be a harmful way to speak. Jesus, help me keep my mouth shut, okay? So let's look at Proverbs 26 together, starting in verse 18. Just as damaging... As a madman shooting a deadly weapon is someone who lies to a friend and then says, I was only joking. Fire goes out without wood and quarrels disappear when gossip stops. A quarrelsome person starts fights as easily as hot embers like charcoal or fire lights wood. Rumors are dainty morsels that sink deep into one's heart. Smooth words may hide a wicked heart just as a pretty glaze covers a clay pot. People may cover their hatred with pleasant words, but they're deceiving you. They pretend to be kind, but don't you believe them. Their hearts are full of many evils. While their hatred may be concealed by trickery, their wrongdoing will be exposed in public. If you set a trap for others, you will get caught in it yourself. If you roll a boulder down on others, it will crush you instead. A lying tongue hates its victims, and flattery, flattering words cause ruin. Don't brag about tomorrow, since you don't know what the day will bring. Let someone else praise you, not your own mouth. A stranger, not your own lips. Okay, I've used the outline from a commentary on this to help me structure my thoughts here. So if you read an outline by, or a commentary by Jonathan Aiken on the Proverbs, you'll discover that a lot of what I'm saying is what he said. So I want to throw that out there so I don't get accused of plagiarizing. But the first thing that he brings up in harmful words is deceit. The use of our words to deceive. Proverbs 6, 18 through 19 says it like this in NIV. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death. Like a maniac playing that yard dart game that's banned, right? Throwing those darts up into the sky. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is one who deceives their neighbor and says, I was only joking. The use of words to deceive looks like this. Looks like embellishing, 
exaggerating a story, using half-truths, omitting certain facts, or intentionally misrepresenting something to make you look better, perhaps. Deceitful words look like telling the truth, seeing that it's offended someone, and then quickly following it up with, oh, I was just kidding. I didn't mean it. Spouses, how many of you have been in a situation like myself where you should have had a conversation with your wife or husband and didn't, but you're in the context of friends and you get a dig in. You make a comment, right? And you can see, oh, and then you play it off. It's like, oh, I was just kidding. But you weren't. But you weren't. Been there, right? Giving the truth as a joke or in jest is a passive-aggressive form of deception. Deceit is lying. White lies. Small lies. Lies the size of Mount Rushmore. Deceitful words are harmful. But who in here hasn't used them before? As the Aiken fellow puts it, he says, all of us do this kind of thing. Who hasn't exaggerated or left details to come off looking better? All of us are born deceivers. Children do it to avoid getting into trouble or they lie to stay out of trouble. Even if you tell a child that they're not going to be in trouble, sometimes they really struggle to tell you the truth, right? And it's not just children. Teenagers do this too. They lie to get good grades. They cheat. They lie to their parents. Don't tell them where they're going, what they're doing. And we as adults are no better either. We lie to our bosses about being sick so we can stay home. We hide things from our spouses, omit things just so we can keep happiness up in our marriage. In conversations, adults sometimes will put blame on someone else, even when it was their fault, so that their, their wife or husband might be, bad at, or might be mad at someone else. Sometimes we exaggerate the truth to avoid doing something we don't want to do. Sometimes we'll tell just part of the truth so that before bed at night we can tell ourselves, well, technically, I didn't lie. These are all instances of using our words in a deceitful way. The Bible says it's harmful and it's offensive to God. Another harmful use of our words is gossip and slander. Gossip and slander, verses 20 and 22 of chapter 26. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, coral dies. The words of a gossip are like a choice morsel. They go down into the innermost parts. They're good, but the after effects... Not so good. Gossip is sharing information that is not yours to share. Sharing a secret. Slander, then, is sharing true or untrue information that is not yours to share that does damage to someone's reputation. So what does it sound like? Well, it sounds like this. Did you hear what so-and-so was up to? We're pretty good at this in small towns. Did you hear so-and-so? Did you hear what they're up to? Did you see this on Facebook? Did you see what happened? Did you read this in the police report on the newspaper? Bless their heart. Did you hear about? Would you mind praying for this person? And then they unload all of the nitty-gritty details that you don't really need to pray for this person. Right? That's the way to church it up a little bit. Gossip. Don't tell anyone I told you this, but... I'm so mad at this person. Can you believe that they would do something like this to me? It's slander. You are sharing that piece of information with someone else who, who doesn't know it so that they can feel as angry and as upset as you are 
towards that other person. It's slander. You're doing damage to their reputation. Let's let Proverbs define for us a little bit more what gossip and slander are. 11, verse 13. Gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever conceals an offense promotes love, but whoever gossips about it separates friends. Proverbs 10, 18. Whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. And 11, 9. With their mouths, the godless destroy their neighbors, but through knowledge, the righteous escape. Have you done one of these things lately? Broken a confidence? Shared a secret that you said you wouldn't? Put someone else down to someone else? Or just listened as, as, and did nothing as someone else did some of these things? Gossip and slander are a harmful use of our words. Another harmful use of our words. Quarrelsome or argumentative speech. It's verse 21 of Proverbs 26. As charcoal is to ember and wood is to fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. This type of speech is speech used to stir up arguments and conflicts. These are harmful words that are constantly critical. It's the use of words to pick things apart, to condemn, to criticize, to grumble, and to complain. This type of speech loves to highlight what's wrong. What's wrong with the school? What's wrong with the world? What's wrong with the government? What's wrong with fill in the blank? Pop culture, movies, politics. What's wrong with that pastor who only ever preaches sermons that make me feel like garbage? What's wrong with the worship team? What's wrong with the children's ministry? They just want to whine and complain and grumble. Argumentative words sound like, well, if you ask me, here's what's wrong with. Well, actually, that's not the case. Here's the truth. Social media is rife with this type of talk. Folks who love to agitate and stir up conflict. Posting in the comments or reading the comments. Disagree on all kinds of stuff. Behind these words, there's no desire for peace, no desire to be a part of the solution, only a desire to sow seeds of discord and disagreement. These are words spoken by proud people who are self-righteous and think they're always right. Church, how much conflict, maybe to put it another way, how much drama are you involved with personally? You say, well, it's not my fault. It's all these other people. Is it? How much drama follows you around? How much discord and division are you around? Are you a disagreeable person? Are a lot of your words argumentative and quarrelsome? Do you pick fights where no fights need to be had? Right? Do you take the bait when someone says that comment? You just, you're there. Or are you the person baiting? Just throwing that conversational bomb out there just because you want to watch it play out. Or are you able to, as much as it depends upon you, make peace with those around you? Argumentative words are harmful. Another type of harmful words, flattery. Verse 28, a lying tongue hates those it hurts, and flattery mouth works ruin. Flattery is smooth talk. It can be deceptive. It can be exaggerating the truth to elicit, to elicit a reaction from someone, to get something 
from someone else. Flattery is a form of manipulation where you are seeking to advance yourself. You're not offering a genuine compliment. You're not really interested in someone else. You want something from them, whether it be, I don't know, admiration, self-advancement, some other desired outcome. Proverbs tells us that one of the chief agents in adultery is flattery. It's flattery, where people lie to someone else and make them feel a certain way so they can get something from them. Flattery is a tool not of someone looking to deepen a relationship. They're looking to leverage that relationship for personal gain. Church, before I'm going to share what I'm going to share, just promise me that you'll listen to the end, okay? Because I know some of you are involved in sales and marketing. Some of you are involved in multi-level marketing things. And that's not sinful. The Bible doesn't say you can't sell things. You can't be in marketing. You can't be a part of multi-level whatever to sell this, that, or the other thing. Whatever you're selling, okay? That's not sinful. But some of those systems, those sales mechanisms, some of the marketing field seems to really incentivize the use of flattery for you to make a sale. So be careful as a believer in Jesus Christ. If you're not careful in some of those fields, you can turn every single one of your relationships with your family, your friends, the people you went to high school with, you can turn them into transactions. I had someone a couple months back from college reach out to me on Facebook, a buddy of mine that I haven't seen in a while. He said, hey, I saw your pictures, your family. Wow, you have three kids. They're beautiful. How's life? I was thinking of you. And about five minutes into that conversation, he switched and he tried to sell me something. You laugh, but it it felt crappy, right? That's not cool. The Bible doesn't say we can't sell things. It doesn't say we can't be a part of this, that, or whatever marketing thing, right? But it does say, don't use flattery to do it. Don't use flattery to do it. Be careful. Take a genuine interest in people. If you're going to sell something, just come right up with it. Don't pretend like you're, you're interested when you're not. You just want to make a sale. Say, hey, I'm selling this. Are you interested? And they can tell you no or yes or whatever. Flattery is a harmful form of speech. Along with that, boasting and bragging Proverbs 27, verses 1 through 2. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Let someone else praise you, and not your own mouth, an outsider, and not your own lips. Say, what's boasting? Boasting is making plans with no thought to the reality that there is a creator God in heaven who has a plan for your life and has numbered your days. The Bible doesn't say don't make plans, but James says if you're going to make plans, if I'm going to go this place or that place, tomorrow, then say if God wills it. If God wills it, I'm going to do this or that. Hold your plans loosely, acknowledging that there is a God in heaven who is in control and you are not. That's boasting. You say, well, it's bragging. Bragging, we kind of know what that is, right? Except we're getting pretty good at passing it off as humility. I'm going to read some tweets with you that I found online. I'm not really on social media. I'm not against it. My wife's on it. I know a lot of you are on it. That's fine. It makes me an angry person. So I just stay off of it, okay? So if you're like, oh, she read my Twitter account. No, I didn't. I Googled this. I did not. I'm not calling anybody out individually, okay? This is, these, are, these are just tweets that I read. We've gotten pretty good at passing bragging off at humility. Here's one. I'm a, I'm a horrible parent. Not sure how my kids turned out so great. Hashtag God is good. <laughs> just rolled out of bed. I'm only wearing a ponytail and guys are still hitting on me. Like, for real? 
All the ladies want to just punch her, right? You're the worst. If I can still find time to clean my house, water the garden, work 50 hours a week, manage my four kids' schedule, lead a small group, and go to the gym, so can you. No days off. It's the worst. You're bragging. Passing off his humility. And this, one's, this is the absolute worst. Just bought a homeless man some food and drink. Didn't wait for a thank you or an audience. Just handed it over discreetly. What kind of thing have you done this week? <laughs> Makes you want to throw up, doesn't it? Church boasting is unwise. You don't know what God has in store for you tomorrow. So make your plans, but leave room for him. And if you want friends in life, don't brag. Let someone else post about you. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. Let another post about you. A stranger and not your own account. Lastly, and this isn't mentioned in this section of scripture specifically, but it's a huge part of Proverbs, so I want to include this category. The last and maybe one of the most harmful forms of speech is perverse speech. When we talk about perverse speech, here's what we mean. Perverse speech is speech that distorts the truth and the reality of life. A lot of times, the person using perverse words may and probably does think that what they're saying is true. Perverse speech would include false religions and false ideas. A false religion would distort the truth, like, say, like telling you, hey, if you kill a bunch of infidels, then you're going to inherit a bunch of virgins. That's a lie. That's not true. That's a perverse form of speech. It would also include false ideas, things like the culture that says there is no difference between genders or you can choose your own gender. No, God has assigned you that at your birth, right? These are fairly blank, blatant cases of perverse speech. But there's a more subtle kind of perversion in Christianity. And this, in the, in the category of perverse speech would also include when we call things that the Bible calls sin, something other than sin. Calling something that the Bible has referred to as sin, something other than sin, is perverse. And to go a step further, justifying our sin and playing it off, minimizing it, downplaying it, that's perverse as well. Proverbs 30, 20 says, this is the way of the adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. It's perverse to justify our sinful ways of life. This might be the lady who's justifying living with her boyfriend out of wedlock. This might be a man who justifies his crude jokes, right? You heard the butt funny clause? Where you say, you say a joke, you say this, that, oh, it's so wrong, but it's funny. We do this all the time when we minimize the sins in our life. Whether it be something like divorce or overeating or gossip or self-righteousness, it is perverse to call any sin that we commit anything other than what it is. It's harmful. It's harmful to ourselves to minimize it. We forget the need of a Savior when we make little of sin. It's a big deal. And then when we try and minimize it and justify ourselves, that's perverse. We can't justify ourselves. Jesus is the only one who can do that. We have to trust him for our justification. All right, well, I can tell the mood in here is I figured what it was going to be, so I try to be delicate. I'm with you. I feel it. 
You feel like I feel after spending time in this study this week, right? I could give you an instance, and I'm not going to because this isn't the place to air air my dirty laundry. (laughs) I could give you an instance of just this last week, if not the last two weeks, of me doing one of every one of these categories. I feel convicted about that. I hope you feel some level of conviction about it too. We need to recognize our sin so that we can recognize the need that we have of a Savior. Now, it can be a little scary to read verses like this and then follow it up with a verse from Matthew 12. You say, what does Matthew 12 say? Well, verse 26 says, I tell you, and this is Jesus Christ speaking, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account. What people? All people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Why? For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. So to bring this full circle, remember what I told you about my son at the beginning of the message, right? If you don't know what you're talking about, it's best to keep your mouth shut. Better be thought a fool than to open your mouth and prove it. It was a challenge to him to be careful about the way that he speaks. After going through the many ways that we can speak wrongly, I hope you feel what I feel personally. I would be wise to speak less than I do. I would be wise to be more careful about the ways that I use my words. Church, how careful are you about the text, about the tweet, about the post, about what you say in conversation? How careful are you with your words? Are your words careless? Are they empty? Are they harmful? More often than I care to admit, mine are. The words of the presidents and and Martin Luther King that I shared with you, those guys, those words were not careless. They were thoughtful. They were finely crafted. Do you speak with that level of care? With that level of craft? Just think with me about our current climate for a second. How much ignorance has been shared regarding COVID? How much of it have you contributed to by sharing your opinions that more likely than not have been based and informed mostly just on headlines and news clips rather than in-depth research? That's a poke at myself. How often have you shared information that was not yours to share? How often have you left out facts or massaged the story to make yourself look better? We're a mess when it comes to words, aren't we? What does God suggest? Well, taken by itself, we could probably not sleep real well at night if we just knew that much of Scripture. We don't take Scripture by itself. We take the whole counsel of God. And we know that we are not justified by our words or our behaviors. Praise God for that. How are we justified? By the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection. That's it. That's it. She's saying, so what, is this wrong? What's this talking about? Well, as I said at the beginning, our words have power. How? To reveal what's in our hearts. The way you and I speak reveals whether or not we know Jesus Christ. They serve as evidence for whether or not we have been changed by the gospel of Jesus. That's what this verse is talking about. He's not saying how you speak is going to get you in or out of heaven. He's saying how you speak is going to let everybody else know whether or not you know the word. 
Jesus. You see, when it comes to words, there's really only one word that you need to know. And it's the person, Jesus Christ. You want to use your words wisely? You need to know and receive the word of life. Jesus Christ. His word needs to be implanted in you. If the word Christ is implanted in you by faith, well then Jesus promises that when it's time to speak, the Holy Spirit will give you words and empower you to, you to speak so that when you speak, it won't be you speaking, it will be Jesus speaking through you. Church, if the Holy Spirit ain't speaking, then we shouldn't be either. I could say a lot more about this, but I'm going to take my advice. Less is more when it comes to word. And you say, what? You've already preached for like 45 minutes. I know. I struggled. I tried. But I want to close with a prayer. I want to close with a prayer that I read from the Gospel Coalition by a guy named Scotty Smith. Before I pray, he quotes Proverbs 15, which is what Caleb read at the very beginning of the message, or uh, of our time together in worship. Proverbs 15, 1 and 2 says, A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing, but the mouth of the fool belches out foolishness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as with the rest of the Bible, this passage makes us think of you and sends us to you for daily mercy and fresh grace. No one is more filled with kindness and gentle answers than you. Your tongue is wiser and more healing than anyone's. You never pour out folly, but constantly pour your love into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit as you drive the truth of the gospel ever deeper into our hearts. Even when we rush into your presence with demands dressed up like requests, stubbornness pretending to be confusion, or clenched fist rather than raised hands, you remain compassionate and ever so welcoming. You are firm with us, but never harsh. Engaged, but never irritated. Always patient, but never a pushover. You never respond to us with anger or defensiveness because you're not into saving face. You're into saving us. All your rebukes for us are life-giving and heart-liberating. Thank you, Jesus, for the way that you speak with us. When we ignore your wooings or act immature in response to your warnings, we simply show how little of the gospel we're believing in that moment. For there's nothing about you that justifies any other response from us than humility, gratitude, and submission. Jesus, we thank you. And we ask that you would be the last and authoritative word in our hearts. We pray that you would get bigger and that we would become less. We pray for you to clearly set before us yourself and the calling you have for each one of us. May you and that calling guide and direct the use of our words. Keep us from speaking harmful words, Lord. Keep a guard over our lips that when we speak, it might be you speaking through us. Give us the security and self-control to keep quiet when words don't warrant our speaking. It's for your praise and your honor and your glory that we pray. Amen.